This is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. Welcome back to part two with Jerry Mitchell. In this part, we talk about Kinky Boots, his future projects, Broadway Bears, and so much more. I hope you enjoy and keep on keeping on. Jerry, you have such great taste when it comes to uh, movement and obviously the script and everything to do with a musical. What would you attribute that that taste to or where would you attribute that taste to? I mean, obviously it's cultivated, but is there... Uh, taste, my God, I don't even think about that. I guess taste is personality, right? Just uh, uh, when it when it's formed in front of you. Um, uh, everybody has a... I, I think really my taste probably is my personality mixed with really great writing and and collaborators who I've been so blessed to work with. I mean, Larry and Nell and Heather, Mark and Scott and Harvey and Cindy and, you know, just incredible, incredible. David Yazbek, I mean, just a just genius mu- musician and lyricist. You know, incredible people, writers, Terrence McNally, you know, just... Uh, it's just it's a it's a it's a it's a real um, honor to have been working with the people I've been lucky enough to work with. How how okay in terms of collaboration, how do you know when it's time to let a point go or to push a point? You know, in what you believe something should be. You mean you mean in a in a song working with writers and yes talking about changes and things like that. Correct. You know, I I have taste instinct i have to trust what i think and what i feel when mostly what i feel when i hear a scene or song right i have to trust it so what is my first impression and i always try to think about that every time i look at a piece that i'm working on you know as a director you're working on a musical and you're going into the, you start previews out of town and you're going in to see the show and I'm going to watch the show now for four weeks, eight times a week. I'm going to, I'm going to sit in my seat and watch this show eight times a week for four weeks and I'm going to start making changes. I'm going to start turning the screw to make it tighter, to make it better. Most importantly, to watch it and see it through the audience's eyes, which is fresh every night. So I try to become that audience. I try to be with them and understand it from what they're seeing because I've made changes and, you know, trying to look at things fresh. But, you know, I, I rem- there's so many instances I could give you. I remember when we were working on Kinky Boots, Cindy had written um, a song for Stark Sands. His first song is Charlie called I Come to the Rescue. And it's just before the sex is in the heel. And in the workshops and in the readings, I always felt like it was a good song, but I didn't feel like it was a great song. And I believe, and I, and I said that to Sin several times. She had written many, like Land of Lola was her third shot at a song for, for Lola. So we, we, we hit that nail on the head before we ever got in front of an audience. We need to change it. We need to change it. But something about Come to the Rescue, I knew wasn't right. And I didn't quite know how to express that to her. And so, you know, I didn't, I mean, other than saying it, like in passing, I said, I'm not sure it's right. I'm not sure we're right yet. I'm not sure we hit it out of the park yet. Those kinds of things. I never really pushed the point until we got in front of an audience. Mm -hmm. And I needed to be in front of an audience 
to explain to her why. So he had a song called Come to the Rescue, and the song that followed it was Sex is in the Heel. Now, Sex in the Heel was a full-blown, full-out, hot, sexy production number with six crazy angels, you know, Charlie Sutton doing a tour into the split, Paul Kanan doing a backhand spring in high heels, me going crazy with dance, Billy Porter leading these angels in trench coats and heels and saying, Charlie, if you want to save the factory, you got to make a six inch heel. I mean, it was a, it was a chorus boy turned director, choreographer, gay man's dream <laughs> to do, to do to be handed a song like that. Right. And then been being asked to create it. And the audience responded in kind. They stopped the show in Chicago from the very first performance that number stopped the show. And then I was able to turn to Cindy and I said, you have to write him a hit song for his first song, Charlie, because Come to the Rescue isn't good enough. And if Billy comes on and does Sex in the Heel after, after Charlie, Charlie's going to be playing catch up the rest of the night. You've yeah. got to write him a hit song. And she said, what do you want? And I said, I want you to write a hit. I said, Cindy, you write hits. Write me a pop hit for him to sing about He's going to make the first shoe. That's oh, all. Yeah. And so she went away, and seven days later, she came in, and she said, I think I got something for you. And we went down where the piano is near the women's bathroom at the Schubert Theater. Well, whatever it's called, that theater in Chicago. Yeah. I still call it the Schubert. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, she, and they played the song on the piano, Stephen Remus, and she sang it, and I was like, uh, yes. It's going in tonight. When can we put it in? Taught it to start that afternoon. I think we put it in the next morning. And yeah, and that that was um, step one. Oh my god, that and you know it still it still couldn't top sexes in the heel, but at least gave Stark a presence, Charlie a presence, and you were like rooting for him before Lola comes in and pops the balloon and says that boots for you know peasants. You got to make this. And so it just was telling the story better. That's such a fun balance in Kinky Boots between the storytelling. Obviously, every song tells the story and furthers the story. But even the, to choose Everybody Say Yeah to end Act One, which almost seems to right. top other numbers. It's like a, it's a roller coaster of a night, you know, watching that show. Yeah, it was a great, great show and a really wonderful collaboration. And yeah. Wow. So much fun. That now okay, so Kingy Boots, um, did you what was the what was the whole conversation with putting together that team? How how much was that kind of just an obvious situation? No, it was very similar. I mean, you know, Daryl Roth had the had the rights to the to the film and she told me she had a film she had some she had a project she wanted me to look at and I said, What was it? She said, I'm just gonna send it to you. She said, I got this package at my house and it was the D V D of Kinky Boots and I watched it and I called her back and I said, Yes. Okay. I said, It's an amazing story, I wanna I wanna do this and she said, We have to get writers and I said, What about Harvey? And she said, That's what I was thinking. We asked Harvey, and he said yes. And then we went about the process of starting to find composers, and we found some some, co some composers after searching through lots of different people, some people writing specs. We chose a team. They worked together for about three months. It didn't really happen. Harvey and them didn't gel, and it wasn't right, so we moved on. Harvey, um, we, we looked for another team, and Harvey suggested Cindy and I'd worked with Cindy and Harvey'd worked with Cindy and 
we all met and Cindy started to get to work and it, we were into the very beginning and I suggested Stephen Arimus come on to help her because, you know, we needed the music needed to be written out and we were getting uh, voice memos and things that she'd sung, but no sheet music. And Stephen Arimus came out as musical director. And I think that music team with, with Stephen leading Cindy and Harvey and myself, we were able to really create something that, you know, was fantastic. And we went through a lot of hard work and Cindy as being the new kid on the block, she never really stopped working. I think probably eight or nine songs that she wrote got eliminated and rewritten. Um, and you know, it was, it was, she was just, she never gave up and kept working. Do you have do you have a rule of thumb on how many projects you work on at a time or per year or per quarter? <laughs> uh, no, no, not really. I mean, yeah. you know, as as a as a director choreographer, I'm not the person who's actually doing the writing, the hard work of going in a room by yourself and writing out the notes or writing out the words. We have a lot of meetings and we talk about a lot of things and then we read things and we do notes and we go back and do them again, but I'm not the person who has to do that sit in a room by yourself with a blank page and write it out. And so, and so, um, uh, that, you know, I can have a team working on one thing while another team, I'm reading something with somebody else and then working with them on something while I'm reading something with somebody else. So it just sort of depends. It depends on what I'm, what I'm working on and who's, who's got something ready to read in this, in this moment in time. Are you, how many projects yeah. are you, you floating right now? Are you going between with meetings? Well, 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 becoming Nancy, we did a pre- presentation in, at the Alliance. So then we took our notes from that presentation, that production, and we've rewritten them and we just did a workshop of that. So that's definitely something that's ready to be uh, put on its feet again when we can. Um, I have two other musicals that I'm developing. One is called Drag Teen, based on a book by Jeffrey Self that I bought the rights to with Troy Johnson. And Stephen Aremus and Jake Shears are writing the score, and uh, Troy and Jeffrey are writing the book. And we're in the process of finishing a first draft of that. I've been working on a, uh, a new musical based on the Betty Boop cartoon character, uh, and uh, that's in the works. And then I've got uh, one other uh, musical that I'm working on. Yeah, so I've got three, really, besides uh, uh, Becoming Nancy. And then I have, of course, Kinky Boots still going in places. Korea, uh, supposed to mount mount up in Korea again. I've got Pretty Woman in Germany, Pretty Woman in London, Pretty Woman about to start a national tour, and then also Hairspray in London and Hairspray on national tour. So it's a little cottage industry. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's fantastic. I just can't believe how much how much you complete in a short amount of time. It's, it's outstanding. Do you have any, any unrelated like side hobbies or anything you do to kind of clear the brain, to hit the reset button before you go back in and create and be creative? Well, I, I think it was Twyla Tharp's book who said, you know, to be on a schedule, right. Or, or, you know, you get, you get things done when you stay on a schedule. I'm pretty, regimented. I get up almost every day at six o'clock. I work out before nine, you know, so I'm ready to go in rehearsal at 10, which is usually 
you know, uh, three quarters of my life just being in the rehearsal room. Um, but I, um, I, I see a lot of stuff. I really love seeing things, theater, uh, and films. And I also, I'm a really good cook. And so this has given me a lot of time to try some new recipes. <laughs> yeah. Do you, I do have to ask, do you have a favorite one that stands out? Recipe? Yeah, I think, I think probably, I think probably my, my go-to recipe is, uh, from my Italian upbringing risotto and I sort of lean towards a shrimp mushroom and uh, asparagus risotto and this is asparagus season so it's great we're getting some really great fresh asparagus so it's oh all my good god well I I want to I want to turn the corner real quick from asparagus to Broadway bears because, <laughs> <laughs> because you've come up with that you've created that that has become such a massive event, almost like a holiday within the Broadway community yeah. every year. And it's, it's something, it's really an amazing, it's become a, an amazing thing in my life too. I mean, it's, it's huge. It's like stupid, huge, how crazy people, how pe- people turn up and turn out for this thing. What was the creation? Yeah. What was the idea of that? How did that come well, to you? Well, in the, in the very early, I came to New York in 1980 as a, and, um, by 1990, I'd lost 10 of my best friend, friends to AIDS, um, best friends from college. My college roommates were all gone. And, um, and I had also lost Michael Bennett, who I'd worked with. And I was in the Will Rogers Follies on Broadway in, um, in an Indian costume, naked on a drum, basically, <laughs> dancing. And it was kind of a legendary costume that was designed by the amazing Willa Kim. And basically I had a headdress on, of feathers on top of my head and some bells on my wrist and ankles and a, and a loincloth in front and nothing in the back. And I was just bare-assed to the world. And, um, <laughs> and I, we were raising money. At the time, Broadway Cares and Equity Fights AIDS were two separate organizations. And we were raising money for the Easter Bonnet Competition, which was started by the the um, kid, the boys in Lacage in that theater, the Palace Theater. We were raising money for that annual fundraiser, and we were thinking up ways. You know, all the cast come up with ways to raise money. And at that time, the Easter Bonnet was really just a pageant of hats, and people were raising money however they could, and bake sales or whatever. And, and Jason Opsall and Troy Johnson and John Gunnan, who were my dressing roommates in the Wranglers, and Jack Doyle. Um, somebody said, "Why don't you go?" in your Indian costume and dance on the bar at Splash. Mm. And literally, I remember the light bulb going off over my head. Now, up until this point, I was a young guy who was in the show, in Broadway shows. I had been an assistant to quite a few people, but this was, I came back to dance in the show for Jeff Calhoun, my good friend, and I was looking for a way to become a choreographer. Mm. And I thought, oh, this is it. I'll put on a show. I'll raise money for my friends. I can't afford to go to the 500 events, but I can put on a burlesque show and charge 10 bucks. And so that's what I did. We went down to Splash. We danced on the bar. I called six or seven other guys in Broadway shows. We danced. There was a line around the block and the owners, Brian and Harry said, if you guys do a second show, we'll kick everybody out and charge them $10 to come back in. You'll make double the money. And I said, and the guys and I, we all said, yes. And so we go-go danced after each show rotation was born and they gave us a tray of tequila shots for the second show, which is still a tradition at Broadway bears. And we made $8,000 and I was so high from that event. I said, I can do this better. I'll add girls. 
So six months later, I did the second Broadway Bears, and we added girls, and we did it at Shout, where Yearntown actually was. And it was a club in Midtown, and we made $17,000. I said, I can do this better. I'll add a theme, and we did a theme, and the third Broadway Bears was at a club called Bump, which was on 47th Street, where the W Hotel is now. We did the third and fourth there. Then we went to Webster Hall for the fifth and sixth. Then we went to Roseland, for, no, we went to, uh, I'm sorry, we went to the Palladium for 5th and 6th. We went to Roseland for 7 and 8. We went, I mean, to Webster Hall for 7 and 8. We went to Roseland for 9 to, I don't even remember what it was. And now we're at Hammerstein Ballroom. We've done 29 years. Last year's show made over $2 million in one night. And we've raised about $22 million for Broadway Cares stripping. And we were supposed to do the 30th anniversary this year on uh, June 21st, and that isn't going to happen. We're moving it to next year, 2021, but we are going to do something on uh, June 21st, so keep your ears and eyes peeled because Broadway Bears will be coming to you in this COVID world we live in in a very special way, so keep your eyes, keep your, uh, eyes and ears peeled, as I said. We're going to do something. Jerry. And raise some money. You have, yes, <laughs> raise some money. It's going to be a lot. You have such, and tell me if I'm wrong, such high, high standards for yourself and the way in which you work, and you don't let things go until they're perfect. And everything you touch, I think, turns to gold. Is that something you're consciously thinking about, or is that just your way of being? I think... First of all, I don't think everything I touch turns I mean, I'm to being, gold. You know, <laughs> it I'm turns to nice. gold for me. It yeah. turns to gold for me. I'm not sure it turns to gold for everyone else. But, you know, that's, that's the business we're in. We're, I, I always say we're in the business of fishing with a net. You know, a show is the net. And we throw it out into the sea. And the more people who like it, the bigger our catch. And the more who don't, we come home with an empty net. But we still made that glorious net. And we believe in every stitch of that net and every bit of it. And we throw it out there because we believe there's a place for it. And there's people out there who are going to love it. Mm. Sometimes we're right and sometimes we're terribly wrong. But I think that the passion you find is what drives you every day to get up and keep going. And, and that is what fuels me. There's no question about it. Yeah. I love being in the room. I love surrounding myself with people who love to be in the room and be right there, not somewhere else, be there. And I usually end up surrounding myself with those people multiple times because uh, just like anything else, you create families in the theater and your family comes through for you. So yeah. when you have people and friends who you know will come through for you, performers, and uh, you ask them to join you again on this journey for the next story that you want to tell. So, I yeah, so yeah, I, I just love being, I, I'm really missing the process of being with people and being in the room, hmm. but I know that's going to come back. And when it does come back, I believe there's going to be a deeper love and a deep, a deep richness and a resurgence in the way we tell our stories that maybe none of us really even know now and won't know until we're able to get back together. It's going to be very, very interesting to see what the future looks like.
and how people yeah. come out for it. Um, as we're wrapping up here, I'm curious how do you, how do you balance achievement versus fulfillment? Uh, achievement versus fulfillment. Well, I don't really, I don't think of either of those things. Sure. I, I basically, I basically do, you know, I'm always, I'm always thinking what's next. What is the next, the next thing that takes my focus is the thing I want to do the most. And it, it consumes me in a way that I'm spending all of my time on that. And, um, and I'm fortunate to be surrounded by people who are in my family and, and, uh, and love that as much as I do. So we have that shared experience. Um, uh, I don't really look back on things unless I'm talking to somebody like you <laughs> about, about a question or a, a thing, you know, I, I don't really, I'm always looking forward, uh, looking for the new thing to do, the new, the, what's new. Yeah. Do you have in, you know, looking back now that we're doing that, any favorite failures or apparent failures that set you up for success on a future? Endeavor? Well, I, I, I think that the, the work that I did on a musical called Never Gonna Dance. Still to this day is some of my favorite choreography and favorite work I got to do. Uh, Noah Racy and Nancy LaMinager were the leads and uh, uh, Michael, Michael um, Greif uh, uh, chore uh, directed it and I choreographed it. And it was based on the Fred and Ginger film uh, Swing Time. It was called Never Gonna Dance. And it had a very short life. I think I got nominated for a Tony Award for the choreography. I didn't win, but um, I am so proud of the choreography and those pas de particularly, that I got to create for the two of them. They were really, really amazing. And the, all the dancers were spectacular. And just to, just to dance in that period, which I grew up loving, and, and that music, and it was, it was a really special time. Are there any favorite books or most gifted books that come to mind for you on theater or life? On theater, um, ooh, I don't, I don't, I don't know if there are on theater. That's fine. I'm reading Nuria. I'm reading Nuria's book biography and um, and, a, and a book called Strip Tease, the uh, the untold uh, the untold um, history of the Gurley Show right now, just because I'm I'm so I'm so fascinated with the world of the last. Uh, I just finished, um, yeah, I, I reread, uh, things all the time. I just, uh, finished Bob Avian's, uh, uh, book, which is, is fascinating book. Bob Avian, who was associate to Michael Bennett and then did, did, um, Miss Saigon. He wrote a book about his, uh, work in the theater, which is fascinating. And I'm reading a book called Lady in Waiting about, um, uh, one of Princess Margaret's ladies in waiting because I'm also obsessed with the royal family. I spent a lot of time in London working on shows, uh, going back and forth, and I love working on the West End. And West End is just celebrated. West End bears ten years, and have lots of friends over there. And uh, and uh, yeah, so I'm obsessed with the royal family. <laughs> I love it. No, I love it. Thank you for thank you for sharing that. Uh, okay, as we as we finally <laughs> truly wrap up here, metaphorically speaking, is there a word or a phrase that you would put on a billboard for millions of people to see? Come on, 
Me? You know. Full out. <laughs> full out, Hashtag baby. Hashtag full out. Hashtag full out. There's no other way to be. Full out. I love it. Oh, my goodness. Jerry Mitchell, thank you for taking this time to chat with me and giving us a slice of your humanity. It's fun to talk about things that aren't, you know, commonly talked about here and those little life-changing moments and the conversations you've had. And, and thank you for looking back on it with me. Thank you. Thank you for asking me. This is fun. Uh, is there anything else you want to add before we, before we end the show here? I just think I want everyone to stay well, stay healthy, and know that we'll, we will be back. Theater will be back. And when we come back, watch out because we will be full out. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Jerry Mitchell. <laughs> You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore Entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another curiosity conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening. 